Welcome to the Novel Analyst Podcast. I'm Jed Hearn, and each episode I analyze a story to help you become a better writer. The Star's My Destination by Alfred Bester. Grounding the future in the past. The Star's My Destination is a sci-fi novel by Alfred Bester, published in 1957. It's set in the 25th century, when humans have colonized the solar system, and follows Gully Foyle, a teleporter on a quest for revenge. I was expecting this novel to feel a little dated, considering that it's over 50 years old, but when I read it, I was stunned by how fast-paced it was, and how innovative and still original it was in its exploration of concepts of teleporting and, uh, you know, psychic powers and the future, despite its vintage. And I think one of the reasons why it was so successful for me is despite the sheer outlandishness and outrageousness of the plot, it felt emotionally true, it felt real. And in this episode, I want to explore how Bester does that. And so to do this, I want to start by analysing a particular scene from the novel, which just encapsulates how weird it is and how wonderful and how true it feels despite this weirdness. To provide some background context for this scene, in the world of the story, everyone can teleport. This has revolutionised society, because now rich people show that they're rich by refusing to teleport and by using the most arcane and painful and annoying ways of physical transport as possible. So in this scene, Gully Foyle is rocking up to a very high-class aristocratic party. And to show that he is rich and high-class and wealthy and aristocratic, he flies in on a plane, has a train dropped out of said plane, has workers run out of the train to lay tracks down in front of him, drives along in the train, gets out of the train in a car, drives up to the doorstep of the party, gets out of the car in a motorcycle, then gets out in on a pogo stick and goes up the steps of uh, the party's entrance. And I don't know if I remember that exactly right, but hopefully you'll uh, understand that because there's a lot of different things going on there. But the point is, it's just this weird kind of societal custom, this strange way of rocking up to a party and showing that you're like really high class. And despite the fact that it's really strange and over the top, it feels real because the rest of the novel is also kind of strange and over the top. But I think it's more than just this tonal consistency. I think what makes The Stars My Destination feel so grounded and real despite being set in this outlandish futuristic setting has a lot to do with this one word that I hear a lot of reviewers bandy about about the novel. And that word is Baroque. So the Baroque era was a highly ornate and extravagant period of architecture, art and music in Europe from the early 17th the late 18th centuries. And it kind of came after the Renaissance and was basically encouraged by the Catholic Church as a way to counter the simplicity and austerity and minimalism of Protestant architecture. And in contrast to this minimalistic uh, approach, Baroque architecture used contrast and movement and exuberant detail and grandeur and surprise to achieve a sense of awe. And if you're wondering why I'm getting so excited about architecture, it's because I'm an architecture student, so this is the kind of thing I nerd out about. And Baroque-era literature is full of kind of this over-the-top emotion and metaphor and symbolism and hyperbole, and it's kind of aims to elevate readers into this highly emotional state, to lift readers out of the mundane and the intellectual and the rational, 
and transcend them into kind of like a, a higher state of being. And this very much parallels Gullifoyle's transcendence in the novel from kind of this like ordinary everyman to this almost mess- messianic, I can't even pronounce that word, to an almost messiah at the end of the novel after he achieves this kind of state of transcendence. And what I find interesting is that when you look at the qualities of the Baroque era, you know, it's all about that being highly ornate and extravagant and over-the-top and emotional, and you look at Alfred Bester's novel, they kind of align. And it makes you wonder, did the novel essentially steal from history? And I put that in inverted air quotations because, you know, can't really steal from history. It's very much a public domain thing. (laughs) By grounding the novel in the kind of emotional truths and societal expectations and conventions of the Baroque era, Bester creates this sense of realism because whether or not readers are familiar with the Baroque era, and I'm sure most people certainly aren't, it's something that's happened. It's part of the collective consciousness or psyche of humanity, and thus it's something that could realistically happen again in the same way that like vinyl records are now popular you know after being popular ages ago and they're not being very popular historical eras kind of have these ebbs and flows to them where they kind of like regress and then come back again and then what's old is new and so forth and basically i think best's novel is a case study of how you can analyze a historical era extract the key qualities from it and then apply it to a setting that might be a bit outlandish or ridiculous or removed from people's ordinary experience. And by doing this, what it allows you to do is to make it feel real. It makes it feel like it's grounded and historical despite the fact that it's set in the future or it could be set in the far past. So what I want to do now is use this understanding that historical periods can be fertile swamps from which you can fish the inspiration for your next world that you're building and analyze a couple of different historical periods to figure out how they could perhaps inspire aspects of your writing. So first of all, let's have a look at the Romantic Era, which was a artistic, literary, musical and intellectual movement that was originated in Europe towards the end of the 18th century. And basically this was a period that was really emphasized by a focus on emotion and individualism, as well as glorifying nature and a kind of pastoral existence, and also really praising the past, preferring the the medieval and the uh, traditional and the, the old, rather than the kind of modern industrial revolution, uh, scientific rationalization, age of enlightenment concepts, which were big in Europe at that time. So if we think about these qualities... I want you to have a think about how they could apply to, let's say, a sci-fi novel set in the 30th century where Earth is basically one big planet-encompassing metropolis of 30 billion people. I'll give you two seconds to think. One, two. There's your two seconds to think. Probably not enough time for you to think, but it's all right because I've got some notes on it anyway. So you can steal from me and no one will know for the better. So maybe on this world, you've got... Uh, let's say, machine-made music, which can produce the most beautiful, original, new symphonies, which is so much better than what humans can make. That's kind of like an industrial era scientific rationalization idea, right? Now, 
could you have a romantic subculture that perhaps praises really poorly performing street buskers because despite the fact that the artificial intelligent synth organs can play music perfectly, these street buskers are real. They're authentic. Likewise, what would the romantic longing for a pastoral, simpler, nature-based existence look like when your character lives in this huge metropolis, when your character has never seen a tree, when your character has never swum in a natural lake? I think you can already see that by extracting kind of some of the key qualities from this historical period, you're opening up all these opportunities for interesting character versus society conflict in your story. And also it's providing that realism, right? Because these historical periods come about as a result of some sort of inner truth within the human psyche. I don't want to get like, I'm no philosopher, even though I'm pretentious enough to try to be one, but all these historical periods come about because they respond to some innate desire in the human mind. So if you're using these historical periods in your story, your story is going to be exploring an innate desire of the human mind. Let's move on to a different historical period. Let's talk about when Rome created Byzantine Egypt, which was basically after Emperor Octavian, soon to be Emperor Augustus, defeats Mark Anthony and, you know, gets rid of the Pharaoh Cleopatra and basically makes the Egyptian kingdom part of the Roman Empire. So some of the key qualities of this is that you've got this culture that has this 3,000-year-old history, you know, it was very strong in the past, but is now basically the subjugated slaves of this more powerful empire. What would that look like in, let's say, a fantasy novel? Well, perhaps you could have the story set in a nation that has like these, you know, 3,000-year-old relics and, uh, you know, historical figures and religious iconography and stuff that's all kind of now getting sort of swept aside in order for this new empire to impose their their beliefs on it and stuff. So it's essentially a story of, of colonization, right? So you can extract the qualities of that period into a fantasy novel and create that kind of interesting conflict between these two different societies. Likewise, if your story, if you're interested in perhaps, let's say, uh, the 1920s and the Roaring Twenties of America, perhaps your story is, like in the Roaring Twenties, set in this land that's kind of you know, all about the young people sort of partying and having like a very glitzy, glamorous jazz age life uh, that's like very different to the standards that their previous generation would have had. But underneath this kind of partying life, there's this deep tragic undertone because the nation, like in the Roaring Twenties, has just been at a war. And maybe all these parties are just temporary band-aids over the scars caused by that horrible conflict. Likewise, let's say you want to have a look at the Cold War as a historical period that you can extract some qualities for. So the Cold War was all about, you know, paranoia, the threat of world-ending disaster, huge international tensions, and a whole bunch of other things like that. Now, how could this apply to, let's say, a fantasy setting? Perhaps you could have two countries that have these ultra-powerful wizards capable of wiping out the world. But these wizards are kept secret, despite efforts by enemy spies to find and assassinate them. That kind of sounds like a pretty cool story now. If you write that, let me know. See how you can basically take the quality of a period, for instance, the threat of the bomb, and apply it into a completely different context in a way that still elicits the same sort of emotional reaction and creates the same sort of conflict 
but is kind of being dressed up in different costumes, if you like. So I think what this episode has really taught me and what I hope it's taught you is that history is like a really rich resource that we can pull from, you know, and no one's going to really accuse you of stealing. You can't really be sued for stealing from history. Like I said before, it's basically public domain, right? No one has a monopoly on it. So I'd like to end with a quote from The Star's My Destination. And I'll be pretty straight in saying that this quote doesn't really have much to do with the point of this podcast, which is all about how Besta uses these historical periods to steal from and to create emotional realism. But I just wanted to include the quote because I think it's really cool and it's one of my favourite points in the novel and it would be a shame if I didn't have it. So here it is. Gullyfoil is my name and Terra is my nation. Deep space is my dwelling place and the stars my destination. Go forth, learn from Alfred Bester, steal from history and go write something great. Thanks for listening to the Novel Analyst Podcast. If you've got questions, episode ideas, or book recommendations, I'd love to hear them. You can contact me at jed.hearn1 at gmail.com or on Twitter at jedhearn. And if you want to support the show, you can tell a friend about it or leave us a review on iTunes. They really help and I read every review.